You know, I decided I need to preach on something since I was here uh, 11 years ago, and your minister, you'd probably like to know, so what have I learned since then? You know, the Bible teaches that us evangelists need to continue to progress and that, that uh, the church can be encouraged by our progress. And uh, you, you probably like to know whether I've progressed or not. Hopefully I haven't regressed. But uh, there's something that I wished I would have taught you when I was there that I've learned since then that I thought this would be a great opportunity to share with you, all right? And it, it's probably been shared with some, by somebody else, but it's new for me, and so I want to share it with you. And this is a familiar story about Peter restore, uh, being restored by Jesus. This is after the resurrection, so this is sort of the period of time we live in, all right? Jesus is resurrected, it's after Easter, this is the new age, and so this is the period that we live in. And the title of my sermon this morning is Resurrection Brings Restoration. And this is almost like an Easter sermon, but the reason I want to share it with you is I believe in cross theology. You know, with all this schooling, every professor tries to deconstruct you and, and uh, shape you in their own image. They always want to challenge your beliefs and teach you what they know. And so there's a lot of deconstruction that goes on at school. And when you get out, you're a little disoriented. Okay, now what do I believe? I thought I knew, then I went to school, now I'm confused. And so after all this schooling, I sort of synthesized it and and have come up with a, a theology that has really guided me in ministry. It's really helped me in the last uh, 11 years to, to know how to make decisions each and every day. And it may sound simple to you, but that's okay because, you know, when you're Polish, you want to keep things simple, you know, and I keep it simple. I break it down. I believe the smartest people can make the most complicated simple, all right? So let me give you my description of God. It's just three things. There's books that are written, 500-page books that you can read on doctrine of God. But God is three simple things. Number one, he's just or righteous. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. There had to be a sacrifice for sin because God is just and he's righteous and he's holy and there's nothing impure about him. And so sin had to be, be atoned for. Number two, God is merciful. That's what we know about Easter morning. It's a new day. There's a new day coming. That's why we can have vision for every person we meet. We can look at them, and it doesn't matter where they're at right now in their life, we believe that resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit can change them into a new creation. They can be as reprobate as anyone in the world, and yet they can become new. And that's what gives us a vision and a drive, because we know that's what happened to us, Right? You don't want to know the old man. I don't want to know you before you're a Christian. You don't want to know me before as a Christian, right? And now we're transformed by the blood of Jesus. So number two, God is merciful or graceful, gracious, all right? That's what we see by mercy. That's what we see by resurrection, that God is really rich in mercy. But there's a third one that I learned as a chaplain. God is faithful. And this ties into the fundamental teaching, the biblical gospel story of death, burial, and resurrection. That's cross theology. Death, burial, and resurrection. 
We celebrated at communion every Sunday, death, burial, and resurrection. Okay? But we're going to see it illustrated in Peter's life this morning, all right? Because we all need God's righteousness, we all need God's faithfulness, and we all need God's mercy. Amen? And so, you ever seen a red car that's been out in the sun much? Never buy a red car. Insurance agencies will tell you, they'll raise your rates if you own a red car because there's more red cars stopped by police than any other color car. I uh, went to Colorado to do my nephew's wedding not long ago. I rented a car, and I went out, and I was so bummed out. They, they gave me an upgrade. I thought, wow, this is great. These people are really nice. And I walked out, and it was a red charger. And I was driving all the way across Colorado. I knew this isn't going to work. I, you know, I love speed. And I want to testify, as God is my witness, I didn't get stopped all the way over to my hometown and all the way back. It is a miracle. There is a God. Uh, but never buy a red car. We just bought Kathy a, a used car. I buy all my cars from Ditton, Eckerd Hyundai. Mike is one of my very dearest friends in all the world. So I flew through here on the way back from Reach, bought the car, drove off. It, it, Matt and Kathy took it away from me when I, we got home. So, but, but she gave me hers, and she took such good care of it. I feel like I got a new car. All right? So that's how it works. Megan got my old one, and she doesn't think I took as good a care of it. <laughs> but you see this picture? See, this is one of those ads about restoration. The one side is the red oxidized paint. They've, they've mastered paint a little bit better, but if you ever look at an old red car, the, the sun oxidizes it, it rusts it out a little bit, and it turns uh, a, a really bad color. And then when you try to wax it, the paint comes right off. But this restored it. And that's what God is going to do for us uh, in our, with our souls and with our spirits, okay? And so, uh, I've gotten a counseling degree since... Uh, I saw you last because Kathy had one, and, and it seemed like, wow, she's, she's a lot smarter than me now. I need to learn this. And it was so good for ministry, everything she learned. And so I started, she had a private practice, and we were, when we retire, going to work together. And so I went back to school. And one of the things I learned one day in class that I wished I'd learned years ago, and I want to share with you, is the difference between guilt and shame. We had this two-day, 24-hour, uh, 12 hours each day of Saturday and Sunday counseling experience. You have to know how, you have to go through an experience of being counseled before they let you counsel. So you could do it once a week for all semester, or you could just knock it out in a weekend. And so I knocked it out in a weekend. And so I went there, and it was sort of a bummer. There were 16 women and one man. Me. And we talked about guilt, and it means you do, you do something wrong. And shame is there's something wrong with you. And shame's a bad thing. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody does things wrong. We all feel some guilt. That's a good conscience. 
And then we deal with it and God forgives us and we move on. But it's really bad to ever feel shame. And, you know, everybody's opening up about their lives and this lady's helping everyone and everyone's having breakthroughs. And I think, oh man, I, I'm, I can't share. These women are going to tear me up. I mean, this I was one of the most frightening experiences. I've been in lots of D groups, but boy, the last thing I want to do is open up to a bunch of, I'm sorry, ladies, a bunch of women. So I, I figured it out. If I do it at the end of the first day, then, I, then there'll be no pressure all Sunday, all the next day. And, and I'll do it right before we end with about 30 minutes left so they won't go too deep into my, my life, and so I'll be okay. And so I volunteered. Guess what? They went a little late. <laughs> and what came out was, and I'll just share this with you, is I was carrying a lot of shame from before as a Christian of how bad my temper was. And the reason I didn't want to share it with these women is because sometimes men, we don't think you women understand anger and rage and, and some of those things. And I, I, I mean, I've looked at my genogram of generations before me, and it's just been passed down from generation to generation. Hopefully it ends here with me. But out came a bunch of shame. It was a great breakthrough, and I'm so glad I opened up, and I'm so glad this therapist was so wise. But we're going to see today how Peter had shame, and he needed the Lord Jesus to take it away from him. And many of us are perfectionists, and we never feel good enough, and that we think that we all have scripts that we were raised with as kids. Mine was, don't make a mistake. I, I made a mistake when I was a kid. I didn't block both sides of the car wheel when we were, my dad and I were working on a car. And the jack fell over and almost crushed him. And the lesson I learned as a young boy was, don't make a mistake. It could cost someone their life. And that's one of those unconscious things that goes through my mind. That's why I'm such a perfectionist. You need to figure out what your scripts are. Peter had some, and it really haunted him. And we're going to see how the Lord saved him from those things, all right? And it's from John chapter 21. One thing I did when I was always here is I gave you the outline of what I was going to talk about before I did. In case I got lost, you knew where we were going, all right? So... In John 21, we're going to talk about how it's so awesome to have a reunion of fellowship, and that's what this is for me this morning, coming back to the, 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 the Dallas church. And he tells Peter his problem is he needs to fish on the right side. We're going to see what that means. And then one thing to help you to be restored is to renew your vows. You know how people have wedding renewal and wedding vow renewal? Well, sometimes we need to renew our vow, and what is it? Jesus is Lord, right? Every once in a while you need to renew that vow. And uh, he told Peter to feed the sheep. And then a recommitment to the cross, our cross theology. And the message we're going to look at this morning is one of great welcome. We just had communion, but what communion is all about is the Lord says, come. Everybody. Red and yellow, black and white. All the children are precious in God's sight. Of any city in America that needs some healing right now, it's your city. The attention of the nation has been on you. My heart has gone out to you. I mean, my heart has been broken. I'm so glad we have a diverse church that can be a testimony to how brothers and sisters 
in the kingdom. And it's all because of Ephesians. You know, I'm teaching Ephesians in our Bible class these days. How the dividing wall of hostility is broken down because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing that's going to bring everybody together. Is when we can drop our hostility and our grievances and our pain and put it at the foot of the cross and come together. But we love you, Dallas, and we love uh, everybody here. And we know that there's been great pain, and we pray for healing. But that's what the Lord's Supper is for. Jesus says, come, sinner. I want to have a dinner meal with you. I want to eat with you. Oh, no, most religious people don't eat with sinners, but I'm going to eat with you. Because I want to extend the right hand of fellowship to prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners so you know that there's a gracious God. And I'm not going to condemn and judge you. Oh, yeah, I'm going to want you to change. He eventually told every sinner, sin no more, right? But he welcomed them to his table and welcomed them in fellowship. And that's what he did for Peter, and we're going to see that. And then he always puts us to work. And I didn't figure this out until I studied uh, psychology, is in mental health you can have two things going on in your life. Concern for yourself and concern for others. And you got to have those in balance. If you're too focused on yourself, you're now healthy. If you're just giving yourself completely away to others, you're not healthy. you got to have a balance there. But if you don't have any concern for others, social concern in your life, if you only have individual concern, you're not healthy. And so that's why Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep, get to work, serve other people, get out of yourself. Because what had he done? He denied the Lord three times, and the Lord died, and even after he resurrected, he felt shame. Because he had told the Lord that I will die for you. And she said, no, you're not going to. You're going to be frightened. You're all going to desert me. No, I won't, Lord. Everybody else if they do. But I'm Peter. I see myself as a rock now. You called me a rock. And I'm going to be a rock. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the only one that doesn't. And he thought he was doing the right thing when he pulled out the sword and he cut off the chief priest's servant's ear. But he didn't get the message of the cross. That's the hostility. The Lord didn't, doesn't promote violence ever. You live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. And so Peter was confused. And so then he's, he's following Jesus from a distance as he's beaten, as he's flogged, as he's taken to the cross. And, and, and a man comes up and confronts him. You're a Galilean. You were with Jesus. He goes, no, 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 not me. You got, you got the wrong man. Oh, you got the, somebody else. I just look like him. You know, I got one of those faces we all look alike. You know? All us Jews. And then a girl comes up to him. A young girl, it says. And then he goes, bleep, bleep. I don't know the man. Bleep, bleep. And then another girl comes up to him and says, no, you were with Jesus. I saw you. Bleep, bleep, no, I, no, you didn't. Bleep, bleep, no, I don't know the man. Glad they took my grandbaby out, even though I bleeped those things. <laughs> and so how's Peter feeling? 
he sees Thomas's doubt and Thomas restored. But still, deep down, he doesn't just feel guilt. He feels shame. And brothers and sisters, some of us, we feel shame. Can you believe it? Me, a minister, all this theology, all these sermons, all this education. And I was only healed from my shame a few years ago. In my 50s, I know, I look older. But, <laughs> and I don't want you to have to live that way, brothers and sisters. I want us to learn from Peter today what it's all about. Because I believe that the resurrection matters. He's, the Lord wants to fix whatever's broken in your life, all right? And so let's read together in John 21, 5 through 6. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered, he said. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. See, the Lord always blessed you, even when you go back to the world. Peter had gone back to fishing. He'd given up on the mission and the ministry of Christ. He'd gone back to what was familiar. I, I, I left the ministry here in Dallas. Unfortunately, I burned out. I went back to engineering. The Lord wouldn't let me stay there. I had my restoration moment. I, was, I got promoted fast. I was the general manager of an engineering company. Thank goodness it was owned by one of the brothers I'd gone to college with. But the Lord, when he wants you to do something, when he's gifted you for something, you've got to do it. The Lord says, move. You've got to move. It's a great a cappella song. It says, you know, that, that's about that. When the Lord, he say, ready now. You got to move, you got to move, you got to move, you got to move. Let's stop there before it gets bad. <laughs> but Jesus' resurrection changes things. He's risen to heal what's broken in our lives. Let's keep reading John 21, 10 through 11. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 in fact. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Who counted 153? <laughs> Peter counted because one fish was a lot of money. One fish fed your family for a day. That was a wealthy haul, folks. That was awesome. But Peter's identity was a rock to be strong, to be loyal. But he failed in living up to his own DNA of Jesus. And so Jesus has this fellowship breakfast with him. But that doesn't restore Peter's soul. You can come to church but not be restored, right? You can take a communion but not feel it deep down. And so Jesus has to go a little deeper. And so in John 21, 15 through 17, Jesus and Peter have this conversation. When they had finished eating, so it's always after breakfast. Lord fills you up, you're, you're warm and filled, and then he brings the hammer. No, then it, then he speaks the truth in love. Jesus said to Simon Peter, 
Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. A physician once said, the best medicine for humans is love. Someone asked, what if that doesn't work? He said, increase the dose. And so that's what Jesus does as we continue to read in John 21, 15 through 17. Jesus said, take care of my sheep, Peter. A third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs. We know this story. We've heard it many times. And yet, you got to see it in the Greek to see how resurrection heals, folks. You know, I, I uh, had to have three semesters of Greek, and I, I'll tell you how you get through school. You sit next to the smartest person, and you have them tutor you. When you go back to school in your 40s, and you're not really linguistically gifted, meaning you have no ear for language, you know, Greg, your Greek sounds like Western Colorado hick English. Yeah, my Hebrew does too, sir. <laughs> so I barely made it through. But I learned this much. It's about loving God. And so when Jesus asked him, do you love me? He's saying, do you agape me? You love me so much you're going to lay down your life for me. Are you going to be totally sold out? Do you really love me, Peter? Are you ready to die for me? Are we ready to be forged together for life? And Peter replies, Lord, I phileo you. I used to say I agape you, but I failed at that. And now i got to be honest. I can't say that in sincerity and a clear conscience, Lord. I said that. And, I, and you heard me, and all the disciples heard me. I agape you. I will never desert you. But I did. So I'm not saying that again. I phileo you. I'm your friend. That's all I can do. That's as good as it gets, Lord. And Lord, ask him again, do you agape me, Peter? Gave him a second chance. Peter said, Lord, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. Guys, you got to get this scene. You're down on one knee. You're asking the love of your life. Will you marry me? And she says, I want to be friends for life. <laughs> I mean, you're running away, right? You're humiliated. It's like those, I've never seen one. I don't intend to. But it's like those bachelor, bachelorette shows, I guess. Yeah? And then this is really odd. And here's the lesson, though. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Do you really phileo me? Peter says, you know all things, Lord. You know I phileo you. 
And so what does the Lord say next? It's so very interesting. Okay, lead the movement. Okay, lead the whole Christian movement. I want you to be the spokesman for the church. I want you to lead the charge. That is good enough. You don't have to be perfect, Peter. You don't have to be God. You can't be God. You can't be Jesus. You're Peter. I know who you are. And you're honest. And you're self-aware. And you're real. And you know that's where you're at. I can work with that. I can work with that. Lead the movement. I give you grace. My grace saves you. Even if you said you agape me, I know better. So let's just give you some mercy. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that. My perfectionism has almost destroyed me. That's why I burned out. I've, I've felt as a minister, I've felt as a person, not good enough. And I know I'm not the only screwed up person in life. I think Satan's done a pretty good job with all of us. And I think we all need to hear this story from Jesus. You're good enough. You're good enough. You know, you can't get up by jumping. You keep coming down. And every legalist and every driven person and every perfectionist knows it. And so today I offer you the the fellowship table of Jesus. I offer you the faithfulness of God. And I offer you the incredible, generous mercy of God. Guys, I was great at preaching discipleship and the cross when I was here. I even gave pretty good resurrection sermons at times. But I had to learn that God is faithful to us. And that's what burial means. Jesus was faithful. He trusted God's faithfulness for those three days when he was in hell with our sins. That God would bring him back. Be faithful, will you? It's so good to see so many of you that have been Christians for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. So awesome for me to see Will Garcia up here in ministry doing great things. I knew Will when he was a teenager. I put out my, I put my reputation on the line to talk him in to accepting him at Pepperdine. I met with the dean of students and the admission director, and I said, this is a great kid. I don't know what his grades are. I don't know what his, his, his interest exams are. But you need this kid. He's a spiritual, good Christian kid. Years later, that dean of students came up to me. I had class with her. She came up to me years later, and she said, Greg, I just want you to know that Will was one of the best students that has ever gone through Pepperdine and graduated from Pepperdine. It was a risk not just for you, it was a risk for me, and he came through. See, it was the the cross of Christ that changed his life, amen? And he can help more and more kids like him. Guys, have you got shame in your life? Let it go today, amen? 
Lord's got some restoration hardware to fix you. But you've got to feed the lambs. It's meaningful ministry. We're going we're gonna to wrap up here. I tell you the truth, John 12, verse 18. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted to go. You stre- you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you. And then what? What's he saying here? And resurrection heals the broken. And what it says in John 21, 19 is, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. You're good enough, Peter. And guess what? You're going to agape me in the end. Just start where you're at right now. Brothers and sisters, just start where you're at right now. You're good enough. I appreciate John Louis teaches this theory, good enough parenting. There's no perfect parent. Praise God for the grace that my daughter's forgiven me for all my parenting mistakes. You know? Praise God that God forgives us for all our sin and all our mistakes. And brothers and sisters, this morning, you're good enough. And somehow you got to dig out and root out those scripts in your head that accuse you, that are lies from Satan, that are false. And you need to be like Peter. And all you need to do is get to the finish line at the end. And what did Peter at the end, he agape Jesus. That's what it's about. And he finished with a personal story. While I was here, my dad came to church. He sat in the old building right over here on the side, and he wringed his hands the whole time. And I talked to him afterwards. I said, Dad, where are you at spiritually? He goes, Greg, I don't want to talk to you about that. You know, we've had lots of talks. Son, don't go there. And there had been times over the year he even cursed at me to just back off. And he said, Greg, I can't get right with myself. And I prayed and I prayed for my father for years. I thought, you know, here I'm a minister. I'm trying to help all these people become Christians and I haven't even helped my dad. And so I I called up my mother one day and I said, Mom, I'm coming to visit you and dad, I'm going to take the whole week off and I just want to come and visit. And let me tell you why I'm coming. I want to, I want to talk to dad. He's getting older. He's in his 70s now. And I want to talk to him about his soul. And she goes, honey, I was going to call you. You know, your dad's been going back to church. See, my dad got baptized and was a faithful Christian for about 15 years. And then he got his foot crushed, and he was out of work for a year, felt bad about himself, he lost his temper. He uh, hit my mom with a crutch, we moved out, we moved back in after he apologized and got with the elders, but then he never went back to church because he felt shame. He never came back, 35 years. But guess what God did? He didn't need me. My dad wouldn't listen to his youngest son. I mean, I was just a child to him. Even at 50 years old, I was just a child. An old, retired Church of Christ preacher from Texas moved in next door. Grandma Busby died, and he moved in. And he started reaching out to Dad. And Dad owned that lot, and he had a garden there, and they gardened that plot together. 
Dad had another garden behind the house, so he sort of gave that garden over to this guy. And the guy started studying the Bible with him, took him back to church. But guess what the big obstacle was? The preacher that was at the church when Dad left was back at the church. He, he had retired, and he was the visitation minister. And Dad said he'd never go back to church because of so-and-so. So this wise preacher got he and so-and-so together. They reconciled. They started going fishing together. They became best friends. Dad got restored. And the whole church was thrilled because Sue had been going to church for 50-some-odd years there without Joe, for 35 of them. And so the whole church was excited that Joe Moretzky got restored and one of the greatest gifts in my life before my dad died, he died a couple years after that, was to sit in church and hold his hand. Now, he had to have one of those hearing devices. He had, the church had one for him, said Joe Moretzky on it. So I thought, well, mom's telling the truth. He's come back to church. He's just, you know. And at his funeral, it was surreal. And that preacher that he got reconciled with gave the sermon. And the title of it was, Happy endings. Brothers and sisters, it's not how you start. It's not what happens in the middle. It's how you end. Peter ended with agape. God bless you. Amen.